Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. What were the daily lives of women like in early Christianity? And what can they tell us about our lives as Christian women today? You're listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott and guest co-host Hannah Greaser, where we take a close look at some of the most important issues facing Christianity today. Yes. Hi, Haley. Hi, listeners. I am super excited for this show today um, and just to talk about women in Christian history. Yeah, it's been a behind the scenes kind of, you know, uh, chaotic to get Lynn on the show. <laughs> but we are so excited to have Lynn Kohick on the show today to talk about women in Christian history. Um, and I'm not sure about you, but recently I've grown more and more interested in history and growing up, it seems so boring, but, um, history is really the story of how we got here today. Why do we do the things that we do and why things are the way that they are? What about you? Yeah, I agree. I feel like when I was, you know, in the younger stages of growing up history, I don't know, it had this certain narrative, but going into college and even in my own study today, I feel like all the complexities of history and the things that we don't necessarily see on the surface are being brought to light, if that makes sense. Um, I just, I feel like whenever I have a question, a big question, I find myself looking at history for the answers that the present doesn't provide. I think that's really smart too, because I don't think a lot of young adults will look at history to figure out, okay, why is this happening and dig, dig deeper like that? Well, today, um, someone here with, well, they were going to be in the studio, <laughs> but we weren't able to record before she left for Chicago is to, t uh, to talk about women from Christian history is Dr. Lynn Kohick. Lynn received her bachelor's degree from Messiah College in Grantham, Pennsylvania, a PhD in New Testament and Christian origins from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And for 18 years, she was a professor of New Testament and biblical studies at Wheaton College. Before that, she taught, she also taught at Messiah College and the Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology. She served for several years as a provost at Denver Seminary and currently serves as provost and dean of academic affairs at Northern Seminary. She also teaches New Testament and leads the development of an MA program in women's studies. Her book, Christian Women in the Patristic World, Their Influence, Authority, and Legacy in the Second through Fifth Centuries, unpacks the lives of Christian women in early Christianity. Dr. Kohick, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Nice to visit with you two. Yes, Dr. Ho uh, Kohick, um, that was quite the bio. You know, you're an accomplished author, professor, provost, and dean, amongst many other things, I'm sure. So what inspired you towards this la or life of academia? Well, thank you. Yeah, I. Uh, that was very generous, very nice um, intro. Uh, my dog just expects me to finger, you know, and, and is, is happy. So uh, that <laughs> um, that's my real life. Um, 
the I think I was inspired in part um, by my um, just a love of learning, and in my uh, household, we always had books around, and there was a, a series called American Heritage that were kind of like hardback uh, magazines that looked at the history, uh, obviously, of the United States. I remember looking, they had beautiful pictures and and just told stories. I, I, loved, I loved that, right? So I think from the very beginning as a kid, I enjoyed reading about other people, people who've lived in the past. And um, uh, like you were talking about earlier, history in terms of dates and numbers and, you know, troop positions and wars, that stuff didn't interest me, but people interested me. Mm-hmm. And so I think I always just had that. And when I was in um, junior high, I... Um, really heard the gospel in a new way and and uh, felt drawn towards uh, the Bible and continued that in um, in my undergraduate years where I graduated um, with a uh, BA in religious studies and then just went on for graduate work in uh, Christian origins New Testament and Christian origins so just looking at what what was the social world of these earliest believers um, all of whom were Jews. So what, what was it like to be a Jew in the first century? And then as the gospel spread outside of the Jewish communities, what was it like for Gentiles um, to hear the gospel? What was especially meaningful for those contexts? And then, of course, this is in the empire, the Roman Empire. So looking at that's such a, a large swath of land that in, uh, included many different ethnic groups, people groups, languages. So, yeah, just studying that that social world was fascinating uh, to me. That's really, that's really intriguing, you know, I mean, as far as just thinking about the daily lives of people. You know, I often think about history, and I think about all of the stories that, that we don't get to hear. It's sort of borrowing from that title, All the Light We Cannot See. Um, thinking about all of the stories that of, of the people that live the day-to-day and how we don't have access to that. So what, you know, unpack that for us. Can I know you, you've written a whole book on it, but um, can you unpack a little bit about what it might have been like for a woman living in the first century Christian yeah. woman? Well, and absolutely, yeah, I'm happy to. And in fact, um, I wrote a book, the, the book that you mentioned, Christian Women in the Patristic World, is co-authored with a good friend of mine who teaches at Gordon College, Amy Brown Hughes. And she does a lot of work um, in the church after Constantine, and I tend to spend more of my time in the first couple of centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made a really good team with that. I also produced a book, um, both of these are with Baker Academic. I produced a book earlier on um, uh, women in the world of the earliest Christians. That's the title of it, Illuminating um, Daily Ways of Life. can't remember exactly if that's the exact title after the colon or not. But um, I was very, I, I think what drove me to that study was the how, um, you know, I'm a New Testament uh, teacher, so I look at, you know, my bread and butter is teaching the New Testament, the various epistles there, and 
um, especially I, I especially focus on Paul. Um, and uh, and I found that to do exegesis well, especially in the in the epistles, you kind of have to recreate the story uh, behind it. So when Paul says to Timothy, "Drink a little wine for your stomach," I think, okay, well, you know, Christians in the U.S. a number of Christians are teetotalers; they're not going to drink wine. But here is something in the Bible that says you should drink wine. Well. Obviously, the context is that uh, there were medicinal uses for for wine, um, and you know that water might have been uh, problematic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Timothy may have also been practicing um, ascetic, doing ascetic practices that weakened his system. And so Paul is is wanting him to take care of himself, and and using wine medicinally. Well, once you realize the context, then you realize Paul's not encouraging all people everywhere always to have a glass of wine with their dinner. You know? Right. Um, and, and, but you have to know the context to, to really understand what he's getting at. And what I found was that when people looked at passages that mentioned women's participation or activities, um, they're their recreation of the setting for that uh, varied often pretty dramatically and uh, maybe sometimes there wasn't even an attempt to create recreate that um, that setting to better understand what was being said so I really felt with that first book um, just looking at the daily lives because I felt that our exegesis depended on us better understanding what the possibilities were for men and women at this time, especially women at this time, and what were they doing? And a lot of times you, you don't get that information from looking at a speech that Cicero gave to the Senate, right? Or right. Seneca's um, uh, discussion of benefits, because he's, he's not writing. He's re- both of them would be addressing a very elite group with, uh, particular issues that didn't affect the average Joe and Josephine. So, right, it's what so what I, remains out yeah. of a society kind of uh, shapes the way that we perceive it. But then there's so much about a society that's left unsaid because it wasn't recorded in like Cicero's speech. Exactly, that's right. And so you, it, Cicero's uh, material can be very useful for us, but a lot of times it's in those throwaway lines. It's in the assumptions that he makes about how how people are functioning so there is i think for example a um an ex an assumption that women stayed in the private world and that men were in the public world and more and more that uh vision of the ancient world is being called into question rightly so I think, first of all, there's not a sense of public and private the way that we understand public and private in the West. In the, in the ancient world, the home was a very public place. Yes. And lots of business happened in the home. So that idea of public and private is different. You had women in, the, in public running uh, shops and, and making loans and buying property. And you have statues of, of uh, donors who would have, uh, or patrons, they would have been a better word for it, their patrons who 
uh, women who uh, were honored by the guild or the building that they built or, you know, for whatever reason. They had these public uh, statues of women. Out there. I mean, in other words, women were everywhere in, a, in the space we would call public. They were also everywhere in spaces we would call private today. And this notion of public and private, just it just doesn't hold up. And so, therefore, when you think about the house church, let's say, and that we think, well, the house church was just really private. It was private space. It, it, I, I don't think people in the ancient world would have thought of it that way. But when we think of it as private space, that then uh, feeds into how we might um, evaluate women uh, teaching or not teaching, leading or not leading, however you're going to interpret certain biblical passages. Mm. And we do so say, well, you know, it's private space, so of course they could lead, but when it was public, then they couldn't lead. And I think, well, that's just not how the ancients would have understood it. So we have to think, what were the uh, possibilities for women at this time? How did they understand things? And how, how did their cultures understand agency and choice and then from that standpoint take a look at what the biblical text is talking about right because i think that what some listeners might not might not understand is that the reason that we think about the private and the public sector has a lot to do with industrialization and the movement of work away from the home where the work becomes the public and the home becomes the private and those distinctions were not always there and of course women's roles were limited i mean they weren't in the senate in in rome or anything like that they didn't have um formal leadership positions but they did hold a large degree of authority in the church and i think like i think it's rodney stark makes the point in one of his books that that the reason that Christianity spreads so much is because of the influence and the leadership of women. Well, and yeah, that that uh, very well may be. I think the military was was a place that women did not serve, and you're correct, the Senate was a place they did not serve. However, uh, Lydia, the wife of Augustus, for decades, you know, as as their marriage went on for decades, was an incredibly influential person, incredibly influential, and she had her own wealth that she uh, sponsored certain uh, senators, sons or daughters, providing dowry, and and so her, uh, I mean, she was an empress, right? And I think that, um, that, that in the, the influence that women had um, was, was very much felt. And they, they could uh, they could make very consequential decisions. And I think the other you mentioned about uh, industrialization and how that changed um, in the, how the West understood its uh, public and private. You're absolutely right. I think the other thing is that in the West we had the tradition of when a woman married, all of her wealth went to her husband. Yes, but absolutely. In the world, yeah, in the ancient world that wasn't the case. She kept her own wealth. Now, not a lot of people had wealth anyway, but um, she brought a dowry to the uh, marriage, and the husband could 
uh, use that dowry, and whatever money he might have made from that dowry was his to keep. But if he divorced her, or if she divorced him for reasonable um, you know, cause, not adultery, but um, that she got the dowry back, the principal back. Um, and, and then she also had all of the, uh, the money that her family might have uh, might have if she's the only surviving child, um, or it might, you know, she could be given gifts, if not a direct inheritance, given gifts. So women had money to decide what they wanted to do, uh, and, and they could decide what they wanted to do with it. So think about then reading Luke chapter 8, where you have uh, some women mentioned who were benefactors of Jesus. These women had financial resources that they could do with as they chose, and they chose to, uh, to help Jesus' followers. Or think of the very sad story of Ananias and Sapphira. Right. The two mm-hmm. of them um, had their, their uh, resources together as a married couple and were both responsible then for the decision to lie about their giving habits, and the stories in the early passages, or early chapters of the book of Acts. So, um, you know, it's not like how we might imagine where a woman, when she married, suddenly had no financial resources. It's just not true. However, she had very little legal resources. She was treated as a minor. She could not represent herself uh, in court. She had to have a guardian, you know. So, I mean, it wasn't all, uh, you know, garden of roses back then for women but it just knowing that what they could and couldn't do really helps i think sharpen our imagination of um, what the early church was like and what they expected of men and women believers i i love that phrase sharpen just just to sharpen our imagination because i feel like when we don't have a lot of information, especially when it comes to history. We tend to oversimplify or just we don't even realize we're projecting our modern interpretation on things. And so I'm curious about the importance of portraying the complexity of women in Jesus's day. Like what are the, I guess, the modern implications of either choosing to portray that complexity or choosing to ignore that complexity? Oh, yeah, great question. Thank you. And, I, and you just put your finger on it, too, with the idea of projection. Um, it's so easy to do in anything, right? Um, kind of make our own world the, the standard. We kind of do that implicitly. Um, so I think the stakes are so much higher when we're reading Scripture, because as disciples today, we want to be faithful. As we want to follow God's Word. We want to be um, active in our... Um, growing into Christ's likeness. So there's a lot at stake uh, in, in reading Scripture. So, yeah, I would say that um, in, in looking at, um, uh, say, oversimplifying, um, there, there's another kind of um, belief, oversimplification, that, that women always needed to be silent, that they couldn't they couldn't speak. And there's, there's certainly um, a sense in which women's modesty was expressed by them not having uh, a public voice in certain, in certain contexts. Nevertheless, there were a lot of spaces where women were expected to 
speak and to uh, and to use the resources that they had to better their community. Thus, um, Priscilla, who was married to Aquila, had uh, a lot of understanding and knowledge about the gospel um, as she and her husband and Paul worked closely together in Corinth and Ephesus and, and Rome. Um, and so when, when another disciple, um, Paulos, needed help, um, she was able to step in and teach him. And she's not being uh, silent there, um, but she's doing uh, the work that's expected to help build up the community. And, and that's not being immodest, and it's not being an exception to the rule. Uh, it's um, it, it, it's helping the, the community, which is a virtue, a, a high virtue at this, at this time. Right. You know, as you, you've spent so many years studying this, you know, as you know, as you mentioned, I, I, you have the women in the world of the earliest Christians, and then you also have Christian women in the patristic world. You've written um, commentaries as you've studied the lives of women in early Christianity. I'd love to know what surprised you most in your studies about their lives. You know, I think I went into the studies uh, imagining them having very little space to, uh, to do things. And what I found, and this gets to the complexity piece, right? What I found is, uh, that there was, there is agency that women that women had. So, for example, I think the you think of the women who followed Jesus. Um, it is the case in, at this time that women who were interested in religious matters, and that's not everybody, just like today, mm-hmm. not everyone is. But those who were, there was space both in the Jewish world and in the wider Gentile world, for women who were religiously inclined to act on that, whether as a Gentile you might travel to uh, shrines and temples for a Jewish woman, go up to Jerusalem, to travel in in the uh, Judea and Galilee. You know, for example, I don't think it's very unusual that Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Women could Mm -hmm. travel. Now we have, uh, we have data from dowry there were no marriage certificates in the ancient world but dowry um, documents stipulated certain things and from there we learned that you know if a woman's going to spend the night away from her home her husband needs to know that she's going out and okay i mean but but we have women traveling then to visit their uh adult children or to visit their mother or uh whatever um and and so uh uh, Elizabeth and Mary meeting uh, is, you know, it's a natural part. Women walked around. Women walked around with with Jesus and and his male disciples. Now they didn't sleep together out in the field. Um, <laughs> would have stayed, you know, would have stayed in homes in the in the villages um, in Galilee. Um, hospitality was a high virtue uh, at, at this time, and so. Somebody always knew somebody who knew somebody, and and you were definitely welcomed in the in the homes. Um, 
so all that to say, you know, women women had, if, if they were religiously interested, there was there were ways that they could learn, and that's why Jesus, in talking with Mary and Martha, can say to Martha, "I'm the resurrection and the life." That's an amazing, amazingly deep theological statement, <laughs> you know. Yes. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead, and um, when he then faces his own passion, who is it but Lazarus's sister Mary, who gets it, who hears Jesus say, "I'm, I'm going to die," you know, "I'm, yeah. I'm going to be." persecuted and going to die, and she anoints his body. None of the other disciples are really on that page, but this is a woman who, uh, from her sister, has heard Jesus say, I'm the resurrection and the life, and who then saw him, she saw him give life to her brother. She anointed her brother's dead body. She gets what Jesus is saying in a very powerful way, and Jesus honors all of that. Right. She she's a learner. Martha is a, a learner. And there are other women who were like that in the in the ancient world. Not all of them followed Jesus. Some of them followed other rabbis. Some of them were part of religious uh, cults, pagan cults. Um, but, you know, women could could act on on um, could make could make decisions. Now, not the kinds of decisions we in a in our world today uh, can make, but they, may, they can make more decisions than I think I expected them uh, to be able to make when I started the study. You know, I think that's completely fa- fascinating to think about, you know, and the ways that we, in the ways that we stereotype or maybe categorize the information in our heads and we imagine the way women's lives might be maybe because of our our christian tradition maybe because just our own lack of education in that in that one area but you know that's why i appreciate the work that you've done and the questions that you've asked i think that you know that's why it's so important for women to occupy roles like being biblical scholars because of the types of questions that end up being asked but um i wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show oh yeah thank you so much and i would just add this is very important for women and it's very important for men to also know this history yes Um, it's not isolated just to women most men have moms Mm -hmm. and sisters and daughters and wives and friends um and so this is as important for our human community for uh, men to, to walk alongside in this historical exploration. That's right. For, you know, it is just as important for men to understand as it is for women to understand. Dr. Kohick, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank I'm you. I'm delighted. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott and Hannah Greaser. Reach out anytime with your thoughts and questions to Haley at ChristianCurious.co or Hannah at ChristianCurious.co. You can find our podcasts and more about us at our website at www.ChristianCurious.co. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at our email 
Dr. Haley at ChristianCurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at ChristianCurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, ChristianCurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.